Hello and welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life, produced by Hewlett Packard Enterprise. In this special mini-episode, part of our COVID-19 series, it's time to get physical. Although it's true that in many parts of the world we flatten the curve and maybe we're even starting to see a downward trend in some areas, but the truth is that we could be fighting this virus for the next year or more. Listen in as we get a doctor's advice on how to protect yourself from catching the virus. It's a bit like preparing for a marathon. Hi there, I'm Bob Peacock. Welcome to Straight Talk for Real Life. Today's guest is an internal medicine physician who believes that preparing to win against the COVID-19 is a lot like preparing for a marathon. It takes commitment focus, and discipline. But it's worth it because this might be the most important race of our lives. My guest is Dr. Ranish Sinha, author of the South Asian Health Solution and an expert in wellness. His work has been featured on the front cover of Fortune Magazine and LA Times. Welcome, Dr. Ron. Hi there. It's such a pleasure to be here. People are responding to this pandemic many different ways. On one end of the spectrum, some people are taking COVID-19 very seriously. Some are even afraid to step outside. Some are thinking we've experienced the worst of it and it's getting better. And on the other end of the spectrum, people are ready to pretend like it's all gone. From a doctor's perspective, what is the truth? (laughs) That's a great point. Everybody has an individual sort of level of risk tolerance. And I think what we're going to discuss today is how do we sort of pick that middle ground? Because there are some people that have become so anxious about this. I literally have some patients that are not even eating produce and vegetables because they're afraid there's COVID-19 on the produce. Yes. The other people on the other side of the extreme, right now they're experiencing so much quarantine fatigue, they're just the heck with it. I'm just going to go out and do whatever I want and things will take care of itself. So I think either extreme we sort of want to avoid and find that middle ground. But what I would tell you is, you know, you can interview 20 different experts from all, from all over the world, and they'll tell you 20 different things about what's going to happen in the next three months, four months, six months. I think it's really important for us to know the, the possibilities that, that are out there and then prepare our minds and bodies for it in a very you know specific way. So whatever comes our way, and this is like life, right? Even before COVID, we always want to have resilience and be prepared to face whatever's going to come at us. And we can talk about some of those outcomes during the interview. Absolutely. Well, we have all been so heavily focused on things like social distancing and washing our hands and wearing masks to protect ourselves from the coronavirus. What are some of the things that are really important that we might be missing to help protect us? Yeah, you know, one way I like to think about this is there are external factors, the ones that you summarized, These are the ones that really influence what we call our viral load. So what I mean by that is when COVID-19 actually infects our cells, if there's a large amount of virus, it can actually enter our cells and it can start to populate inside it. So the way I explain this to my techies is as virus basically enters our cells, it doesn't have the hardware machinery to make copies of itself. So it sort of hijacks our 3D printer and starts replicating itself. So there's multiple copies of the COVID-19 virus. Now, when you have copies of a virus replicating or being reproduced inside your cells, that can trigger our immune system to produce these chemical messengers called cytokines. And these cytokines really are meant to thwart that attack. So cytokines are something necessary for immune system. But when they get out of hand, Bob, what they do is they can damage and destroy those cells. And this really leads to those scary pictures that you see of individuals on ventilators 
every time you pull up the news, you're reading about some new weird side effect that we see, and that's right, one right. of the results of that. So now if we sort of zoom out, really what I'm thinking about is we've got these external factors that reduce our viral load exposure, and that's all the things you talked about, you know, safe distancing, um, you know, wearing masks, all those things are important, but by now, most of us have probably practiced and we've had some protocols in place, so that should feel pretty natural, even though I know it's very unnatural. But now what I want us to focus on, Bob, is this is kind of like a game of tag. The virus is out there. At some point, a large percent of us are going to get tagged. Who's going to actually thrive through that? And that's where we tap into our internal resources. How do we keep that cytokine low managed through basic lifestyle changes that have been shown over and over through decades to actually help optimize our immune system? So I really want us to focus more on, on the internal um, resources that we have rather than obsessing over the external, because a lot of those rules have already been put in place and sort of go from there. How about things like stress, uh, mental health, sleep, uh, the things that we're eating, yeah. nutrition? Absolutely. Those are good points. So let's start off with stress because, you know, a lot of times stress for us, you know, what you eat and how you exercise are very easy concepts that we'll definitely summarize. But some, you know, stress can be more of a black box. And first, I want to apply a little bit of science to this. Because the reason this pandemic is so incredibly activating for our immune system is because it represents a type of stress that we've really never known before. It's this intense fear of the unknown. Literally, when I give talks on stress, I tell people, try to pretend that your email in-basket is a tiger chasing after you. Well, now I don't have to use that analogy because mm -hmm. we have a pandemic virus out there. I mean, I, I could not even come up with an analogy this clear and this fearful. But now what you think about is within fear, fear of the unknown, as much as we think this is fear of the unknown, we have to reframe the situation because we have scientists and experts that have been through pandemics before. They're familiar with coronavirus. And every day we are seeing new findings that are coming out in the news. So we are exposed to a lot of knowledge and that can be empowering. So I want to sort of eliminate the unknown part. I know the fear is still left, but this is where the power of reframing comes in because studies have shown that when individuals are in a stressful situation, when they can reframe to something that's a little bit more positive and empowering, they actually produce less cytokines by it. They basically are producing less inflammation. That's been shown in scientific studies. So you kind of alluded to my approach to this in terms of training for a marathon. I'm trying to think of this as a marathon. You can think of it as a 5K. If you automatically reframe this into sort of a challenge that you want to build more mental resilience and strength and also physical strength too, then it might take the edge off that stressor to the immune system. That's all we're trying to do. And I think once you have that framework, when you start looking at headlines every morning, which I don't recommend you to, we need to distance ourselves from media a little bit. But when you start looking at all this unpredictable news, your body and immune system is not going to overreact. That's really our goal in terms of changing our mental framework when we're thinking about COVID-19. And actually, you bring up a really good point there, too, about the preparing for a marathon. And I know that there's going to be a lot of listeners who are going to think there is no way that I'm ever going to prepare for a marathon. You're so right. And, you know, marathon, maybe I should change it. When, when we say marathon, it's whatever is motivating to you that falls within your framework. So I'm gonna give you my personal example. So I have two 16 year old boys who love playing basketball. And usually when I go outside, they are much more skilled than I am. So it's not even a match when I play one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> so, so I made a commitment to myself that I actually want to increase my vertical leap. I wanna be able to jump higher. 
And in, in, here in Silicon Valley, especially, and globally around the world, we're all very numbers metrically driven. So I literally measured how high I can jump right now, and I have a goal of adding a few inches. Because I know if I can add those inches, I'll be a little bit more competitive when I play against my boys. And I also want to improve my endurance. So I have sort of a fun motivating factor because now I've got more time to play with my boys and I'm sort of measuring that. So how do I achieve that? I'm doing some more core work. I'm doing some plyometrics at home. I'm skipping a rope a little bit and I'm seeing progress. My vertical leaps going up. So marathon is in air quotes. It's whatever goal you have. My marathon is increasing my vertical leap and being able to play basketball a little bit more competitively. For some people, their marathon is literally running, training for a marathon. And for others, if they look at their um, watch counter, it might be something as simple as, you know what, right now I'm getting three to 4,000 steps a day. How do I get that up to six or 7,000? How do I squeeze in a walk into the morning and become less breathless? So, so find a goal that's going to energize you, and then we can talk about a plan to sort of get you towards that goal. That's great. Okay. So I know our listeners have a million questions, and so do I, and it is really great to be able to talk to you to get a, a doctor's perspective. So I want to start with chronic conditions, things like diabetes, obesity, uh, heart disease, hypertension. These are all conditions that we can control and even improve with lifestyle changes. These are also conditions that uh, put you at a higher risk of doing poorly if you do contract COVID-19. Now, I've heard you say that COVID-19 is a lifestyle disease. What are some things that we can do that will have the biggest impact in protecting us from COVID-19? Great point. So, you know, in my medical practice, I focus on those conditions. I see a lot of patients with diabetes, heart disease risks, risks, blood pressure, and we focus on lifestyle changes to improve that. So, so now we have a different context here, Bob, because when people think about those risk factors, they're thinking about the 10 or 15 year risk of developing heart disease. But like you say, this might be a 10 day risk factor, a two or three month risk factor. So the first thing I want you to do is I don't want you to stress out about this because when you look at the news and you're reading about obesity and diabetes, yes, these things can increase your risk, but there are very specific, simple things you can do to improve that. So the first thing I tell people, I think where we have one of the greatest opportunities is through our diet. So if you are somebody that's, for example, dealing with extra, you know, extra body weight or you know, elevated blood sugars, making simple changes to the diet. And one key thing I tell people is pay attention to your eating schedule because many of my patients are just eating continuously throughout the day. They have no schedule. They're feeling hungry here. They're feeling hungry between that meeting. They're staying up late at night. There's no end time. There's no boundaries on their work schedule. And you know, obviously we've got to maintain that for mental balance, but also for metabolic balance, we've got to keep the window of that food intake much tighter and then allow the body to recover because all those stored nutrients, especially for not exercising, your liver needs time to cleanse out a lot of those stored toxins and fat and all those things. So that simple change itself can improve glucose, it can improve your body weight, and already you have game-changing improvements. And we haven't even talked about what you eat. This is literally just getting the schedule tight. And, and that's the first thing that I work on with my patients is really keeping that schedule as consistent as possible. Okay, talking about food, many of us, myself included, have, have added a few pounds since the pandemic began. Talk about the dangers of belly fat. Yeah, you know, we talked about that term cytokines, right? Those inflammatory chemical messengers. We've known for many years, Bob, that our belly fat, the stomach fat itself, can release a lot of those cytokines. So the way you want to think about this condition is if you get infected by COVID-19, 
you do not want your body to already be flammable. What I mean by flammable is literally these cytokines can cause a fire of inflammation to grow inside your body. So when we're under chronic stress, when we have too much belly fat around our waistline, when we get infected by COVID-19, literally mm -hmm. we have dry kindling in our body that's waiting to get, you know, erupt from that flame. Now that doesn't mean that we're striving for a six pack. You know, a lot of people hear this stuff and they're like, oh my God, I've got 30 pounds of body fat, belly fat. For many people, even if they lose eight to 10 pounds of weight, that's a huge um, impact in terms of reducing your risk of having that excess inflammation. I tell people focus less on weight and more on waistline and really pay attention to that. But if you follow some of these lifestyle guidelines, you can get rid of a few of those inches. So what are some of the best ways to lose it? Is it diet? Is it exercise? Yeah, you know, I'd say it's very personalized. I'd say in the vast majority of my patients, if we prioritize diet first, that's really the um, place where you can see the most leverage. Because I have a lot of patients that are exercising more and more and more, but their diet's not changing, Bob. And really, you can get away with that if you're my 16-year-old teenage boys. They can eat whatever they want because they're growing vertically. They have a lot of growth needs. It's not going to be deposited in that belly fat. But unfortunately, at our age, we're not growing vertically. We're growing the other way, right? So we have to make sure we're combining some physical activity with those dietary changes. Right. So one thing I'll tell you, I'm not really a condoner of a specific type of fad diet, but what I will be clear with you is most of these diseases we're talking about are due to a condition called insulin resistance. And this is what we're seeing all over the globe causing heart disease and diabetes in our diverse populations. And one of the most important parts of the diet is making sure you're not on necessarily a low carb diet, but that your carbohydrates are adapted to your lifestyle. What I mean by that is if you're sedentary and not moving much at all, your body can only handle so many carbohydrates coming from flatbreads, noodles, rice, all these things, because really your muscles don't have much of a demand for energy. So eating, even eating a small quantity of carbohydrates is going to cause glucose and body fat to go up. But we need to dial down the amount of energy through sugar and processed carbohydrate foods or any processed foods. And we want to gently dial up our activity levels so there's more of a match between our physical activity and our dietary intake, and particularly our carbohydrate intake. And that's when you start seeing the magic happen, where the belly fat starts to melt away, energy levels go up, glucose goes down, blood pressure goes down. So I think diet is a really great lever that we want to get our hands on. Right. Uh, Ron, in this series, we've talked a lot about the stress and fear that COVID-19 has added to our lives. Just by turning on any TV or reading the news, you might think, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Talk about the mental stress that that puts on people and the importance of what you call media distancing. You know, stress gets a real negative rap, but the real factor is stress is actually a survival mechanism. Because if I'm looking at news for information where I think my, literally my survival, uh, you know, is, is being threatened, you actually would want your immune system to be active. If you're out in the wild, for example, feeling a lot of stress because of a predator chasing after you, you actually want your blood pressure to go up. You know why? Because when your blood pressure goes up, there's more blood flow to your brain. You're able to think more clearly and your blood vessels clamp down because if you were to get injured and bleed, you don't want to bleed to death. So, so these are all very adaptive mechanisms that help, you know, help us survive when we have transient short episodes of stress. But the problem is when that acute episodic stress becomes chronic, where you are inundating your brain with all this media that's causing constant, even low level or high level fear, 
then the immune system's on active persistently. And that's like turning up your, let's say your iPhone speakers up full blast all day, the battery's gonna run out, it's gonna burn out just like you are. So that's why we have to be very deliberate with small episodic doses of something that might be potentially stressful. Try to engage your cognitive brain to take off the edge of that stress and then you're going to really allow your immune system to be ready if something truly happens. If you get infected and something happens, you've got the immune system and metabolic resources to respond appropriately. So just knowing that when you are looking at the news, the first point is this, pick a few reliable, highly scientific resources that are very objective and are not contaminated and polluted by all types of media and political bias, right? So I will look at Johns Hopkins. I'll look at our own internal medical group website. I might look at Stanford. I might look at our public health guidelines because those are written in a very objective, unemotional way. And it allows me to pre prepare myself from that. So I look at this as really being a scientific problem that I want to be able to solve. And all of us can do that. So even if you're not in science, you look at this as, okay, are there some guidelines here that I can adhere to that will make me safer and make my family safer. And then lastly, have scheduled time. So I call this media distancing, maybe 30 minutes or an hour of set time, and then turn off all your other notifications. You will feel so much more at peace. But the minute you wake up in the morning, you look at that news, or you go to bed looking at that news, you are interrupting sleep, you're activating your immune system on a chronic basis. And from a medical perspective, can our mental outlook have a real impact on disease onset and survival. Absolutely. So these individuals that tend to cognitively reframe, and that's literally what we talked about when we said, think about this like a marathon or a 5K or some sort of event. Just that subtle shift in your brain when you think about a situation in a more intellectual or maybe slightly more positive light, that, Bob, has been shown scientifically to reduce the release of cytokines by our immune system. So even pre-COVID, we've known this because people that do look at um, their situation, whether it's a cancer diagnosis, some sort of a trauma or loss, if they can put on a little bit more of a positive lens, then they find that the immune system is basically much more optimized. There's improved survival. And all of these lessons do apply to infections like COVID-19. So I'm going to give you another simple hacker trick that I use. And literally what it is, is when you are sort of in mental turmoil, there's a technique that I call thought tagging or thought labeling. All that means is if you're feeling a lot of, let's say, fearful thoughts and you're playing out scenarios where you're picturing yourself on a ventilator, you take a pen and paper and you write down that situation in maybe two or three words or less. I'm scared. I'm frightened. I'm, I'm fearful for my mom. I'll write it down on a piece of paper and actually sometimes tear it up or put it in the shredder. And that ritual itself puts me in a better place. So doing those simple things can absolutely, on a regular basis, it can really reduce that reactivity emotionally and from your immune system as well. Knowing that we have listeners all over the world, is COVID-19 affecting different cultures in different ways? It sure is, because you know, this issue of insulin resistance, where our body responds to, let's say, carbohydrates with elevated blood sugars and increased body fat, that insulin resistance switch is different in different ethnic groups. So let me give you an example. In East Asians, Chinese, and even in Indians, often they are at a what we call a normal or lower body mass index, but they can become diabetic or develop a lot of these conditions at a much lower body weight. So there's actually a normal adjusted body mass index and waist circumference from people of East Asian and South Asian origin. 
So, so what we have to be aware of is somebody that looks very slender, who's of Asian background, they might still be very high risk because even a small amount of belly fat can trigger diabetes in a lot of these conditions. So again, not to be scary or alarmist, what that should tell you is I need to empower myself. I can't just look in the mirror and say, hey, I'm slender and skinny. My body mass index is normal. I'm out of the woods. No, you've got to look at the waistline and you've got to make sure that you connect with your healthcare system and get your numbers checked. So get your blood sugar checked. You can do that with a home monitor and reconnect with your doctor. Keep track of that waistline. Check your blood pressure. Check your cholesterol profile. Focus on the triglycerides. These are a lot of hidden metrics that cannot be uncovered unless you get the blood test done. But, you know, there's a unique opportunity here, Bob, because a lot of what we talked about with lifestyle like fasting, these are native parts of our culture. A lot of things that are a part of popular mainstream media in terms of health and wellness are things that our parents and grandparents did whether it's fasting, whether it's pranayama breathing practices, whether it's meditation, whether it's eating anti-inflammatory spices like turmeric, which is like all over the news, you know, these yeah. are part of our native. But I find that my, a lot of my patients from that culture that are actually practicing Western lifestyle, so they're ordering a lot of fast food, they've disconnected from those healthy cultural traditions, those um, diseases are getting worse. So at least we're asking people to reconnect with their roots and do that in a healthy way. I want to spend the rest of our time talking about what you call the ABCs of optimal health or fitness. So again, we're going to reframe this into a positive because my patients that have been seeing me for a while, I have taught them how to use this specific period of time to become fitter and healthier than when they were actually going to the gym. That's been one of the issues because many of my patients were very dependent on their gym and fitness center to get fit. But I'm telling them that we have some incredible resources that we can tap into when we're at home out in the neighborhood where we can get super fit. And the way I break it down is, yes, you're right. I call it the ABCs. There are three components that we want to focus on, and we can do this anywhere in the world at any time. So the A is for activity, the B is for breathing, and the C is for cardio. And most of my patients, they might be doing one or two of these, but nobody's doing all three. So let me break this down. So with activity, what I mean by activity is how much time are we spending just moving around? So when we sit, and this varies in each individual, but when we sit without moving in front of a computer or screen for more than 30 to 45 minutes, in some cases 60 minutes, that cytokine starts to get released by our belly fat, that inflammatory marker. So prolonged sitting has been shown for many years now to be an inflammatory risk marker. So what that means is even during the course of this interview, I sometimes sit, I sometimes stand, but I'm always aware of the fact that if I'm sitting for too long of a period, I need to interrupt that. So this is important because many of my patients are just doing one exercise session, a Zoom fitness class, maybe they're doing their Peloton bike for an hour, and then they sit continuously for eight or nine hours. I'm like, that's good that you did the exercise session. That's great. That's a C part of my ABCs, but are you interrupting prolonged sitting throughout the day? So that's the A part. The B part is the breathing. How are we actually breathing when we exercise and when we sit in front of a screen? If you're in front of a screen and your meetings, et cetera, and you're breathing mostly in your upper zones of the chest, that can activate a stress response because that's sort of a low-level panic mode. We have to teach ourselves to breathe more naturally, deeper into our belly. And, and the, re- the reason breathing is so important is coming back to COVID-19, one of COVID's favorite sites for damage is the lungs. So people that get breathless and shorter breath with minimal physical activity, 
that's a sign that you're not only deconditioned, but that's also a sign that you might end up on a ventilator or have a more severe lung infection. And the way you think about this, what is a ventilator doing for us? It is actually becoming our breathing machine. It is becoming your lungs. So when you get fatigued from breathing heavy or you can't deliver oxygen to your tissues, your ventilators are becoming your lungs. So the way I think about this coming back to training is when you teach yourself to breathe better and you improve aerobic endurance, if God forbid you were to get an infection, your own lungs can be very powerful ventilators. The muscles that surround our lungs, the diaphragm is what we call the accessory muscles. They will kick in and start moving air in and out like you need to. Oxygen delivery will be better. And as a result of that, you're not going to have to rely on a ventilator. So I actually would argue as much as we say age is a risk factor for this condition, if you, I have some patients that are in their 60s and 70s and they're master swimmers, they're running, they're incredible aerobic fitness and they're in much better shape than my average, let's say 30-year-old engineer. And I would actually put my bets that my 60-year-old master swimmer and aerobically fit um, you know, senior would probably do better in this sort of an environment. So with breathing, what we're really saying is how breathless are you getting with exercise? And now can we actually improve that breathlessness? So I'm going to give you a couple of hacks. So professional athletes, endurance athletes, often will train in the mountains at an altitude of above 7,000 feet to improve aerobic fitness. Because once you get up to that altitude, what happens is, Bob, your blood cells produce, your bone marrow produces more red blood cells. It's literally like legally blood doping. So you increase your oxygen improvement and delivery to your tissues. Now, I know all of us go up to the mountains during this time, but what you can do is you can actually nasal breathe. So when you go out for a vigorous walk or a light jog, breathe mostly through your nose. It's going to feel tough at first because you're used to huffing and puffing through your mouth. But as you get used to exercising and breathing through your nose, your aerobic fitness will improve. I'm going to give you another silly hack. Let's say that becomes easy. Start exercising. A lot of us are doing this unconsciously. Exercise with your mask. I actually use a high-altitude training mask, which I've used for years, but you can use your cloth mask and go for a vigorous walk or a bike ride. You don't want to push yourself to the point where you feel like you're suffocating, but just enough to challenge yourself. Now, if you start getting more comfortable walking or biking with your mask on, you are improving your aerobic, uh, your aerobic fitness, and that's going to make you less susceptible to having a huge inflammatory response. So, so that, that's the breathing with exercise. And then at rest... Whenever possible, slow down your breathing, breathe more through your nose. And nasal breathing has been shown in multiple studies to calm our nervous system. When you're breathing a lot through our mouth, that elevates the stress because it's sending a signal that my body needs a lot more oxygen. So those simple, simple things that we can do can improve our aerobic fitness while also optimizing our immune system response and lowering our stress levels. So how are you breathing at rest and at exercise? That's to be part of it. And then, yes, the C part is the cardio. We've got to do some exercise, not exercise that's crazy where you're at a super high heart rate, but enough to get us a little bit breathless for a minimum of 30 to 40 minutes. Can we do that four to five days a week? So focus on those three components, which we can do in our native environment without having to sign up you know, for a fitness center. And you will see game-changing improvements in fitness while you're also keeping your immune system optimized. Very good. So uh, just in closing, let's talk about uh, resources that might be helpful to our listeners. What are your recommendations? So resources, again, when we talk about, you know, I want to just remind people, try to limit the amount of media resources you're exposed to. And then when it comes to fitness and health, um, you know, I have been prescribing different things to my patients. So, for example, they can use different YouTube channels to, you know, learn how to be more fit. 
So using body weight exercises, for example, Fitness Blender is a YouTube channel that I use. I've actually been using the Peloton app and I've been loving it. I don't have a Peloton bike. I have a, a, a different model exercise bike, but I've found that that app is incredible because they've got wonderful teachers. You can use it on outdoor runs. If you're cycling, if you're doing yoga and they have a free three month trial. And I've actually decided based on that app that I'm just going to use it now and not even use my gym when things come <laughs> normal. Yeah. And yeah. I don't have any affiliation with Peloton, by the way, but, but apps like that are really, really important um, tools and resources we can use. On my blog, I've got a lot of information about um, exercises, diet, foods, and things. So you can definitely refer to those and breathing too. So I've got, a, I'm so into breathing. I've always been into breathing, but now in this environment, I'm finding that we've got to have um, adequate resources to teach people how to breathe again. Because when we were babies and young kids, we did all this stuff instinctively. So we need to tap into our inner child and make these things natural once again. And you have written like a COVID-19 survival guide. Is that right? That's exactly right. So this is a free resource that has all of my tips on how to get fit, how to breathe better. We've talked a little bit about diet, but I've also put a list of the specific nutrients and foods that have been shown to tame inflammation and have anti-COVID-19 viral activity. Where you can find this is you would basically go to the webpage on my blog. It's bit.ly bit.ly forward slash COVID resource page. So when you go to this page at the top, you can download the survival guide for free. And basically, I'm updating this with the latest research, so I keep putting out new iterations. And then below that, you're actually going to see something called the co-video series, where I'm doing these short five-minute videos on very specific concepts, like how do you breathe, what is about the mind and inflammation, how to reframe properly. So I'm putting those out every couple of weeks, so you'll find everything at bit.ly COVID resource page. Terrific. Ron, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Bob. As Dr. Ron said, one of the best ways that each of us can boost every major part of our own immune systems against COVID-19 and other infections is to get active. If we can use the pandemic to motivate ourselves to get up and get active and use the resources available to us to boost our mental health as well, then we will have a much better chance of not contracting COVID-19 and surviving it if we do get it. And once COVID-19 is under control, we'll be in much better shape for a longer, healthier life. As always, we want you to know about all the free wellness resources available to you as an HPE team member. If you're outside the U.S., you'll find those resources on the Global Wellness page on HPE Insider. And if you're in the U.S., you'll find those links on HPE Wellness. Our thanks to Dr. Ron Sinha. And as always, thank you for listening to this podcast. Until next time, take good care of yourself. Let's talk again soon.